the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. I am Lindsay G, and I use uh, she, her, or they, them pronouns. And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. So thank you for joining us this week, everybody. We are going to dig our hands into a very messy topic, and that topic is periods. Um, So we're going to get down and dirty, but I think before we do that, Lenny, if you would like, you may take it away. Yeah, so in this podcast, we use the heteronormative terms of gender binary of men and women under the understanding that there are agender, androgynous, bigender, pangender, and gender fluid norms that exist outside of cisnormativity. While we tend to use male and female as shorthand, this is not meant to undermine the very serious role of colonization and violence against two-spirit and non-conforming individuals. Even more so, this is not meant to obscure the reality that two-spirit and non-conforming people are the most likely to experience sexual violence, as we have mentioned in earlier episodes. We do not believe in the gender binary without fluidity, which is a Euro-Western construct that forced a strict gender division on our societies, which itself is a form of violence. Indeed. So with with all of that out of the way and the slight bummer of the ending there, maybe maybe we should like we should come with a slightly more uplifting way of ending that spiel. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> it's it's a bummer and people need to realize that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is a is a bummer. Um yeah. and I don't I don't apologize for that because we're also pretty funny. So, you know, we, we try our best to keep it light, but also to not shrink away from the worst stuff. And on that note, I want to start this podcast where we're talking about periods and menstruation by talking about the word menstruation and the word menarche. <laughs> because okay. I, think, I think that menarche, which for anyone who does not know, is the term that is used to describe a person's first period. So the first menstrual cycle is called menarche. And I think that menarche is like the worst word. Like I can't think of any word that makes me more uncomfortable than menarche. I think we need to make a better word. Me too. I have no ideas right now though. I think the thing that that bothers me... Well, okay, I don't like the way that menarche is spelled. It's M-E-N-A-R-C-H-E. Like, what even is that? (laughs) Where did that come from? What what language gave birth to this horrible word? And why does it sound so much like monarchy? But it's like the opposite of monarchy. It's so weird. Um, And there are lots and... There are lots and lots of... I mean... Other people have made lots and lots of other words for all of this. Like, and I'm going to give you some of those right now. Ooh, all right. Okay. Visit from Aunt Flo. <laughs> yes. I remember hearing that one when I was like in middle school and I thought it was like the most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> um, 
I always envisioned Aunt Flo being mm-hmm. like this Karen-y person even back then. But the weird thing was, was like Aunt Flo is totally a negative. Yeah, and like the idea that Aunt Flo is like necessarily like an anti that you don't like because (laughs) yeah you know there's like misogyny all over it but I kind of like to picture Aunt Flo as like a nice like pampering kind of anti like yeah maybe maybe with like bright red hair you know (laughs) And, and she like brings you chocolate and like warm beverages and like pats you on the back like that Indian auntie who always calls you my girl like I like that (laughs) yeah I like that okay then there is On the Rag. Oh, God, that one bothers me. I don't know why exactly, but it, I know. it grosses me out. There's the way that it's said, I think, like every time I've heard someone say that, like it's rarely that you hear it from like a female identified person who is like talking about it in a nice way. It's usually from like some dude who's like trying to explain why a woman is being hysterical. Yeah. Or. Yeah. You know, someone vulgar like me who wakes up feeling like I had a have a hangover, and I'm like, I'm right. on the rag, and then like, <laughs> yeah, it's never stumble to the bathroom, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, lady business. That I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that. I, I do too. In the same way that I have mixed feelings about like quote unquote. Uh, lady parts because it's not necessarily a lady thing there are a lot of people who have periods and have those parts who are not women Mm -hmm. number one but it also it like I guess maybe a little bit depending on who's saying it it feels really patronizing to me it does I actually hate it worse than on the rag okay Okay. here's here's some more that time of month because we can't talk about it right we gotta like we gotta like code it like it's that time of month yeah and put big air quotes around it yeah uh the red badge of courage a little (laughs) bit more uplifting (laughs) i can i kind of like that one it is a courageous undertaking i'm not gonna lie it can get scary yeah i feel like we should we should promote that facet of menstruation like uh, you know anyone who doesn't menstruate if you woke up in a puddle of your own blood without any warning you would think that you were dying and you'd probably freak out and like scream a lot but it happens to people who menstruate like pretty often (laughs) we're pretty hardcore and I think we do deserve badges for it also I think that like we just should get badges for knowing how to get you know blood out of a hundred percent Egyptian cotton sheets (laughs) (laughs) well speak for yourself I don't have fancy sheets but I do know how to get blood out of a lot of things yeah, me too. And it's not just because, I mean, I also have children and, I mean, it's, <laughs> knowing how to get blood out of things comes in handy when you have children. They true, true. bleed all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one there for people to ponder. Uh, uh, there is also Crimson Tide. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Checking into the Red Roof Inn. <laughs> I've not heard that one. I have never heard that one either. (laughs) I love this one. It is a Game of Thrones reference. The Red Wedding. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Last week was the Red Wedding. Yeah. I'm just going to talk about it like that from now on. That really brings home like the brutality of it. (laughs) 
the awfulness of it. I, I think it's very fitting. Okay, now we're going back to like really bad ones that I hate. Girl flu. What? That's bullshit. What you know what that is? Okay. I am I am spouting off of the mouth. I don't know if this is true. But you know how like recently, fairly recently anyway, the term man flu has become a thing, which is basically what? making fun of men who like can't deal with being a little bit sick and everything becomes the man flu and they're like oh. helpless. I feel like the girl flu is probably like a backlash to that because men can't deal with the fact that they're babies about things sometimes. Because I'm sorry, if you can like, if you can get yourself out of bed and go to work during your period when you feel awful, you want to kill everybody and you want to eat everything, I think you deserve a medal. You do not deserve to be patronized for that. Yeah, like a red badge of courage. Exactly. No, but it's true. Um, not only do like, I mean, we call it a girl flu, but periods are often like poo-pooed by doctors. Like there's actual like, I mean, women are put in danger by doctors either saying, oh, you're probably just having your period in overlooking real things. Right. Or just saying, oh, it's just their period. Well, at the, well, their period is like signifying that something really terrible is happening with people's bodies, you know? Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's relatively normalized. And I, I think that in the medical and like holistic healing communities, there's a lot of argument right now going on about, how much pain and discomfort is actually okay yeah. for people while they're having their period? Like, if, if you have too much pain, is there something wrong? So I don't really know what the truth is there. But, like, pe like periods are normally pretty uncomfortable, right? There, there is pain, there's bloating, there's fatigue, there's cramping that goes along with it. And that's, like, pretty much normal. But there are a lot of people that experience excruciating pain during their period. Oh, yeah. And that I'm should not people. be considered normal. Like, there right. should at least be some real inquiry going on into how to help those people. Absolutely. And the fact that we're sitting here asking how much pain is okay is a problem in itself. Right. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah. I, okay, okay, so this is a TikTok thing. I don't have sources for this. I'm just going to put that right up front. But last week, I saw a TikTok video that was going around where this guy with a lovely Scottish accent, I think it was Scottish, was talking about how he had just discovered that the amount of pain experienced by some people during a period is comparable to the pain experienced by someone having a heart attack. And yeah. this, this guy was like, I will never make fun of women for complaining about their periods again. And, it, you know, he's like saluting people for dealing with it. And again, I don't really know how true that is, but like, that is an enormous amount of pain and it's not yeah. okay to just undermine it and make it sound like it's something silly that we complain about too much. Absolutely. Uh, I am one of those people who... Um when I do have periods, because uh, I am getting older and I don't have them as often as I used to. But um, when I do have them, I'm like curled up in yeah. a ball somewhere yeah. in the house, like in pain. Yeah. Uh, and then in enough pain that where I can't have conversations, 
sometimes I'm just gasping for breath and sometimes I'm just counting the minutes until like I am not in pain anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that's uh, awful. Yeah. And so, you know, it needs to be taken care seriously. Uh, yes. That's why girl flu just enrages me. Yeah. I do not like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, some other ones. I'll just go through a few of them. Uh, Carrie. Okay. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Mother Nature's Gift. Oh, how sweet. Thank you, Mother Nature. The Red Baron. <laughs> uh, this okay. one is my new favorite, Riding the Cotton Pony. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's pretty cute. And, of course, Shark Week. Yes, Shark Which, Week. That, yeah. That's that's one of my favorites. Um because it's it's like fun, um, and it does kind of get the seriousness the seriousness of the situation across without making it like too graphic or upsetting. Um, Have you also... ever seen a shark horror movie? <laughs> Actually, or, you know what? It's been a or, while. Or have you watched um, Have you watched any shows during Shark Week? Oh. No, I actually never have. I've never watched Shark Week. Okay, well, they are graphic and gory. And whenever I say Shark Week, I think of how gory and graphic. Like, the, <laughs> all of the stuff from that is. Okay, well, we have we have different ideas about that. The, the way that I came to call it that was, there was, like, a meme that somebody made... Oh God, I can't, I think it was, um, I can't, there, there was like an infographic about, maybe it was like the nervous system of a shark or some part of the shark anatomy looks very much the same as the female reproductive system hmm. when you look at them from a certain angle. And so somebody said that because they look so much alike, we should call it shark week. And I was like, okay, hmm. I can work with that. I'll see if I can find that meme. I'm sure it's still out there somewhere. Maybe I can put it in the show notes. Um, but the one thing that really annoyed me about it was that instead of calling it like the female reproductive system, the person who made the meme labeled it like, <laughs> it was like female vagina or something. And I'm like, dude, no, a uterus is not a <laughs> vagina. Ovaries are not a vagina. They're different parts. Oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> But the thing is, it's like nobody wants to say monarchy and nobody wants to say menstruation. And that's no. why, like, we have to keep making up these, like, really, like, hilarious ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. Red Badge of Courage, I'm definitely into. Um, let me see. There was another one that I heard recently, uh, Surfing the Crimson Wave. Oh, yeah. I, I like that, that one. one. Yeah, it, it makes me think of, okay, this is a throwback. So only people uh, like who are in their late 30s and older will probably get this. But when I was a kid, um, Colgate and Crest both had kids toothpaste that were like blue and sparkly. And they were a little bit different. And I think it was Crest had like a dark blue sparkly toothpaste. And their commercials had this like toothpaste guy who was like, maybe he was like a, a rock star. I don't know. He may have had a guitar. I don't remember clearly. He was some kind of musician. He wore sunglasses and he was made of this blue gel that sparkled. And he was a surfer. And I think in, it was like the, maybe the art room 
in my elementary school, the teacher had one of those posters where like, if you looked at it from different positions, it would look like it was moving or changing shape or whatever. And it was, it was that guy on like a toothbrush shaped um, surfboard. And there was like a wave crashing over him and it said totally tubular. And like, Mm -hmm. I must've stared at that thing every time I was in the art room for years because it's so seared into my memory. So when I think of surfing the crimson wave, I imagine like an Aunt Flo figure, except she's like made out of blood. (laughs) Ooh, we should make our own poster. (laughs) Surfing on like a pad or something, you know? We should make a sticker to give to people (laughs) who like listen to our show. To follow, (laughs) we'll make a sticker to give to people who follow us on Patreon. Ooh, yes. You can get, you can get period stickers, people. (laughs) (laughs) Get on it. Um. Oh, and then there was another one I was thinking of, but it has escaped. Oh, the the oh. one that I think is the nicest is um, when people just say that you're on your moon because, you know, yeah. the moon cycle. A that moon feels nice to me. Them. Uh, I always thought that surfing the crimson wave sounded kind of like an Oasis lyric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like singing about periods in a whiny voice. Yeah. With some acoustic guitar. I love it. You know that if uh, more men had periods, that there would be more Oasis-like songs. Like, there would be more acoustic songs about surfing the Crimson Wave. Oh, my God, you're right. And it would be like, it would totally be like emo sad music. Like, poor me. My tummy hurts. And I'm allowed to complain about it because I'm a man. Or punk rock music. Yeah. Actually, you know, if if punk music really dealt with periods, I feel like period blood would be way more normalized in the culture by now. Because some punk acts got real weird about bodily fluids on stage as is. So, like, I mean, not that it's normalized, like, doing nasty things with bodily fluids on stage per se. <laughs> I do have to say that there are, there is, and we should totally make a playlist for this, but there are PMS and period punk rock songs, including Blood in the Boardroom by Annie Mm -hmm. DeFranco, Mm -hmm. uh, My Red Self, Heavens to Betsy, Crimson Wave by Taco Cat, and Heavy and Bleeding by PJ Harvey. Oh, I don't think I know that song. Oh, I gotta look that up. I love some PJ Harvey. Yeah, we should have a period playlist. I think we definitely need one. Oh my god, I just, that gave me a, a flash to Dead and Bloated by... Uh... I am! Yeah. <laughs> but like, instead of Dead and Bloated, it'd be like, that's as far as That's as far as I could sing without having to get pay for that song. I am smelling <laughs> like That's a... it! Stop. Well, <laughs> that's all. Yeah. That's all you can do. We, we don't, don't have, have a budget. What it smells like it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a budget for this show, so we can't go <laughs> any further than that when we're singing any like major <laughs> songs. That yeah, true, true, true. Please don't sue us, Scott Weiland and Please. <laughs> oh, they can't. We stopped in time. <laughs> so I actually did some some looking into the etymology of menstruation because I started writing down like menarche is a terrible word and menstruation is a terrible word. Why do they both have men in it? Like, you know, not, and this is not to say that some men do not have periods, but, you know, 
the vast majority of folks who have periods are not of the manly persuasion. So how come these two words both have men in it? And I discovered that, okay, number one, monarchy is from German, which uh, the word monarchy came originally from Greek. Uh, The Greek word men means month. So it Mm. makes sense Mm -hmm. there. And menstruation uh, came from late Latin um, and means the period of menstruation in the 1680s from the past participle stem of late Latin menstruare, from menstruous, which means monthly. So they're both from the same root um, originally in Latin, but they took like different linguistic paths to come back into the English language, basically. So they both mean monthly, but the word man is from Old English by way of Proto-Germanic and not originally Latin. So even though they have men in those words, they are not related to the word man as we use it in English today. It's it's like less offensive to me than I thought it was going to be, basically. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to kind of add here that if you are indigenous, um, you should totally take down the patriarchy by learning how to say menstruation in your language and then teach it to someone else. Oh, yeah. We're going to take back our own words for this and our own meanings for this. I like that idea quite a lot. And I would love to know more about other cultures' ways of handling menstruation, too. Because in modern America, the way of dealing with it in the dominant culture is to try to pretend that it doesn't exist as much as possible, avoid talking about it, um, unless you're making fun of it or talking about how gross it is. Um, And that it just, it really, like we already said, like it divorces people from like the medical reality of like, if there is something wrong and your period is causing you to have like medically significant negative outcomes in your life, like that needs to be addressed. And when we make it really hard for people to talk about it, we are prolonging their suffering and making it harder for them to lead a better life. Like just in the past few years, I have had, I think at least three friends who are all under the age of 40 who were finally diagnosed with endometriosis after decades of like debilitating pain during and between periods. And it took them like on average between 10 and 20 years to find a doctor who believed them that there was something wrong so that they could take action to do something about it. Like they were suffering that entire time. And it is at least partly due to the fact that we don't talk about periods in a real way. Yeah, I mean, most people don't. Yeah. Um, I have been diagnosed with endometriosis, but I, nobody's ever done anything for me or for it since that diagnosis. Shit. So, you know, that just, uh, I've just, that was like the week after the twins were born oh when I was God. diagnosed with it. And they are 15 now. Yeah. So they were just like, oh, you have this debilitating problem. Okay, deal with it. Bye. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah, it's, I I think it's just so far back on my charts now that like most of the doctors don't even look at it. And 
I also like space it out all the time. I get so nervous when I go to the doctor that I forget to tell them like everything that's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, uh, a lot of like indigenous cultures, um, historically have thought of like the menstrual cycle is like a powerful time. And so I was never like really taught that it was like extremely negative. Okay. So like one time I, there was a little bit of my pad peeking out of the wrapping when I threw it away mm -hmm. and my dad freaked out and was like, you got to hide that. And I was like, why? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like women have those like <laughs> you have to make this more comfortable for me <laughs> yeah I don't need to make this yeah don't don't this isn't about you <laughs> yeah but I was like always like wow that was such a strange reaction because I was like always just been like it's a thing that happens and you know whatever and I talk openly about it and I'm always like but it wasn't until like I was an adult where people were like what what are you talking? Why are you talking about that out loud? Like, that's gross. <laughs> and so I like learned as an adult more than I did when I was a kid that it was like something that we need to keep quiet and not talk about. And uh -huh. uh, not that it stopped me. I mean, it takes way more than that to stop me from in fact, like I, yeah, I try and openly talk about it, like even around my kids, because I'm like, women have periods, you know, that's the way it is. Don't be grossed out. Right. Well, and the more, the more that it's normalized to talk about it, I think the less scary it gets, just like with anything else. So it, that's the best way to go about it. But, but there is so much messaging just like floating around out there about how it's scary and it's gross. And well, it's definitely scary, but uh, like you were saying, like talking about it is so important that. Uh, my own tribe and there's like books that talk about life cycles for the Ojibwe people for the Alaskan people the Maori people have a bunch of literature out I mean it's not like it's there's tons of stuff from all kinds of culture indigenous cultures all over the world that talk about this and talk about how when somebody got their period for the first time, the whole, there was a feed. A lot of times there were stories told. Um, oftentimes, like even the father would go throughout the community in different cultures and be like, my daughter is Aww. having her period, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and so by showing that this is a new powerful like period in your life that you are now a life giver and a person who holds power was something that was normalized huh that sounds lovely I mean, and it yeah i i feel like there's really a lack of hmm like a lack of solemnity and and really just like ritual and ceremony of about major life changes you know and um like in, in the dominant culture, you know, there are definitely lots of other cultures who do really cool things, you know, around us, but it's not nearly as normalized. And that's actually like one thing that I have been noticing in the past few years is like the quinceanera that a lot of, uh, you know, Latino cultures celebrate when a, a daughter turns 15. Mm -hmm. I like, 
I've been seeing more and more messaging just in the media that is normalizing that and making it into, you know, just like a, rather than like, oh, only this group of people does that. It's more just normalized. And it's not exactly the same as celebrating a first period, but it is that like initiation into womanhood as a separate state of life and a separate state of like, yeah, coming into your power that I think is really great. Yeah, definitely. And ultimately, like what we want to do in our orgasm is to get people thinking more deeply about like the role that patriarchy plays as a core value of colonialism. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're looking at like the attitudes that are there when it comes to menstruation. And so women's knowledge was immediately downplayed when um, tribal people were colonized. And it was purposeful because if you take away not only tribal knowledge, but knowledge um, of power for women, then you can immediately like bestow that patriarchal system upon that community. Right, totally. Like if you, if you turn something that used to be like a special time of life into something that is scary and weird and gross and must be hushed up you're that's like the first well not the first <laughs> that's a step toward yeah taking taking people away from a, a part of their life that could have been powerful for them that maybe historically was powerful but removing them from that by just making them embarrassed about it absolutely And a lot of this knowledge was passed along matrilineal lines. And so in even up into like recent years, because there are still um, boarding schools open to this very day. We live like within 30 minutes of one right now. Um, Children were taken from their families and those matrilineal knowledge systems were lost for girls. And so like indigenous cultures, cultural knowledge was basically erased but uh, a lot of tribes are like talking about how to like bring back these cultures and like what it looked like and how we can make it better some of the old knowledges talk about like which mosses were used as pads and why uh, which traditional medicines a lot of like um, women in tribal cultures are taking back traditional medicines that were used to manage period pain oh cool and um, talking about how the belief that, like, women were banished to a bleeding house or to, like, a hay bale or whatever yeah. is, like, told from the wrong perspective because it was a, more likely about them letting them rest um, rather than any, like, imposed restrictions from the tribe. Right. Like, imagine a world where women weren't made to feel like weak or like lepers that had to like leave society, but like that they're actually going through something powerful and amazing and that it's okay to take some time for yourself. It's okay to not go to PE that day. It's okay to call in sick to work. It's okay to make more sick days for women who, who like, need more days because they are on their periods it's more empowering it's better for the like society overall 
Right. Yeah. Like rest and recharge and come back fresh. And, and also like really, it would make the concept of like (laughs) self-care as like a, a ritualistic practice, you know, like a repeated cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, make that okay, as opposed to, like, I feel like um, in the media, a lot of what you get the idea of, like, what self-care looks like is, like, taking a bath and eating chocolate, which is totally great as self-care. I, for one, am a huge fan, but it makes it seem like this kind of isolated experience where, like, wow, when you're just, like, at your total wit's end and you just can't anymore, then you get to take, you know, an evening to yourself Calgon, take me away. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, please. Yeah. Calgon. No, I like, (laughs) yeah. Where the fuck has Calgon been? Like all this time. (laughs) No, I take baths like three times a week. That's so And um, like rest. I mean, it's not even like a self-care routine for me. It is like my routine. It's just my routine. (laughs) If I want to do self-care, then I will, like, you know, I'll pull out, like, a face mask and I'll do, like, all kinds of other, like, relaxing stuff in my room or something. But, like, (laughs) a bath is just not one of the things that is a self-care thing for me. It's just the way that I get clean and it's a part of my routine and uh, my muscles and bones hurt a lot because I'm have not been kind to my body, uh, too many mosh pits, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, taking mad jumps on my BMX, stuff like that. Badass. (laughs) And red wave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Surviving shark week every month. Uh, so, you know, that's just pain management for me. And I don't think that we should have to like, say that these things that we do to manage our pain and to manage our period like cramps and stuff like that should be considered self-care I think that it should just be considered care right yeah and there's a reason that it's important that we talk about it is I mean there's a deeper issue like reproductive rights are on the table right now across America as our state and national legislators and house representatives vote on and pass laws that are dangerous to women and trans folks everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's under siege as usual. As usual. Exactly. And it, but I mean, it's been really, really evident like Montana's like I live in Montana. And so Montana has been awful. It's been a trash fire, this legislative session. Absolutely. And because of the intersexual nature, in, intersexual, intersection, <laughs> intersectional. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. Nature of our podcast, uh, we actually can and have connected like attitudes of like, like major cultural attitudes, including menstruation during this episode to eating disorders, lateral violence, self-harm, impossible beauty standards, Uh, sexualized violence and femicide that are norms in collective colonial realities when we're socialized to hide in silence and and be ashamed and um, of just like our menstruating bodies yeah then there's an underlying message that 
we are just shameful because that's what we right. do. Yeah. And so uh, we're objects to be like cleaned and sanitized and deemed proper by a values system that places toxic masculinity and predatory capitalism as king. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> like, I've been thinking about this since we decided to talk about this topic, like the the way that we deal with periods culturally right now is to not talk about them and pretend that they're not happening. So there's like boatloads of all of these products that are made to, you know, clean it up, keep it invisible, make sure that you don't smell, make sure that there's no way that anyone who is not you could know that you have your period. And that is... (sighs) Like, I can see where it comes from. And I think that probably there's like a whole lot of like feminist actions that probably went on to to make it more possible for women to be in the workforce, whether or not they're menstruating. And, and that's because like in order to, to quote unquote, get ahead in the world, you have to be able to work through your period. You know, you have to pretend like it's not happening because it's gross and it's scary. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants to smell it. Nobody wants to acknowledge that it's happening. And so I understand where that comes from. Like you want to fit in to get by. And, you know, as a person who's worked in a lot of different capacities in a lot of places for a lot of years, I totally get that. I don't really want people to know when I'm on my period necessarily. But in, in doing that, you're invisibilizing it and you're cutting people off from their bodies. Like you're demanding that people ignore or medicate away the pain and discomfort and just continue to operate as if something is not, something really profound is not happening in their bodies. And I don't think that there's anything wrong necessarily with someone who wants to ignore that and feels better if they work through it. Great, you know, you do you. But at the same time, it is part of this larger process of if you have a body that menstruates that your only way to do well in the world is to like cover it up and pretend that you are really not linked to that body. And that is doing us a a huge disservice, medically speaking, and just, you know, our, our understanding of who we are as like physical and, you know, spiritual beings. Like there is, there is a link between menstruation and the moon cycle. And whether or not you are like a witchy, pagan, woo-woo person like I am, like, that is a powerful truth. And I think, I don't know, it feels, it feels really sanitized and uncomfortable to me to try to separate my lived experience from that truth, even though my entire lived experience has been with the understanding that I should be ashamed of it and I shouldn't talk about it for my whole life. But like the older I get, the more I'm like, well, that's fucked up. Like I, I do have periods. They're a big factor in my life. They fucking hurt. Like my whole body changes. All of my hormones change over the course of the month. And like, I should be allowed to experience that without being made fun of. And I don't know. I have a lot of really complicated feelings about it, I guess, is what what I'm getting at. Yeah. So what I said about um, the value system that places toxic masculinity, 
on predatory capitalism. Those come from a writer whose name is Nikki Sanchez. Nikki's work unapologetically like talks about why it's important for people to fight the urge to secrify like this thing that happens to our body. And and she actually touches on what she said. She talks about uh, how she personally calls it moon time and why, because uh, indigenous uh, cultures have practices, teachings, and ceremonies that connect our menstruating bodies to the moon. Another thing that everybody like doesn't really talk about, and I didn't realize until I brought it up one time um, as a option for a joke to tell on stage, but I wanted to talk about like period poops. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> yes. And like, I was going to make like this big, like, let's talk about period poops thing. And like, but then I God, found out that like run out of there crying. If you did. <laughs> I found out that like guys don't even know that's a thing. <laughs> like a lot of the guys, like the other comics were like, what the fuck? Is that real? It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I actually, oh shit. I didn't look this up in my research, like I didn't get to it, but I remember reading something fairly recently that actually explained physiologically why. My guess was that because I was having cramps and like everything was kind of irritated and trying to like work on like getting the blood out of my body, you know, that my one organ pissed off my other organs and it was just like a chain effect where it was like everything's gonna hurt and you're gonna shit the reality that i was reading about is that they they believe that you know all of the organs in that part of your body more or less communicate with each other and whether it's on purpose or not is you know up for debate but that you know when your uterus um, and your reproductive system are releasing all of the chemicals that say now's the time to get rid of everything that, you know, it goes to the other areas or the other parts of you that are in that same area. And that includes, you know, your poop area. Yeah. I, and um, the worst part about it is trying to like wipe poop off your ass when you have a tampon string hanging out. Oh my <laughs> There's, God, like, you're tricks. so right. We need to like make a like tips and tricks. Like <laughs> section. I actually, I was looking up uh, myths about tampons for this. Oh yeah. Um, because I remember hearing a few ridiculous ones when I was younger, um, and I was wondering if there were any new ones. And so I ended up reading a bunch of articles about like, here's the myth, here's the reality, and there was a lot of talk about peeing on your tampon string. And apparently there's a myth that you need to change your tampon every time you pee because you're inevitably going to get the tampon string wet and that's bad for you. And the experts are like, okay, number one, it's not really that bad for you. Like it's a little uncomfortable and unpleasant if you have pee on your tampon string, but it's not going to hurt you. But number two, dude, just, just move it out of the way. Like <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> just and like I always found that like you can you can take the tampon string and like position yourself on a toilet seat so that it's like between your leg and the toilet seat and it's just held up out of the way no big deal not a problem and it stays dry <laughs> yeah I just like 
I, I was told to change it every single time I go pee, so I do. Uh, and it's not because, like, I think that, you know, anything bad's going to happen, but it's just because I, do, I am unable to, like, hold the string up and go, and I just feel like there's some acrobatics there that I'm just not, like, able to do. Yeah, it, it gets complicated. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, another one, it, well, I think that probably where a lot of the always change your tampon every time you pee came from is the toxic shock syndrome mm, idea, mm-hmm. which I remember being fucking terrified of when I was a kid because there's like all these warning labels all over every tampon box about how you're going to get toxic shock syndrome and die. Yeah. So I looked into it and what I was finding online was a bunch of experts saying like toxic shock syndrome is real and it can happen, but it's extremely rare. It can happen if there is already a certain type of bacteria in your vaginal canal. And then if you have a tampon in for a long period of time and like the right conditions are in place, then it can cause an overgrowth of that bacteria Mm. and that can lead to toxic shock syndrome. Um, So it is a real thing, but the likelihood that it is going to happen to you is pretty low. And what most of them were saying is like, if you start feeling horrible and you're like, vomiting and have a fever and a rash and pain like go to the doctor and get it figured out it could be toxic shock syndrome but it's unlikely that you're going to just like keel over and die because you had a tampon in that's not how that's going to work so that is a scary thing and I think it is a good argument for changing your tampon relatively frequently another thing that I kind of um read about a little bit when doing research for this episode was about um menstruation and work attendance and school attendance and Mm -hmm. how some people can't afford to buy tampons and so they don't go to school or they don't are unable to attend work and uh, there was a statistic that was kind of shocking the availability of menstrual care materials alone has been found to reduce absenteeism from work by 21 percent whoa 21 percent mm-hmm wow And, well, also increasing school participation and improving learning outcomes for people in school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) as someone who has been in school while having a period a lot in my life, (laughs) like, worrying about whether you might be leaking through your pants while you're sitting in class or having cramps or just general discomfort or the just, like, fatigue that comes over you when you're having an intense period like none of this is very conducive to learning yeah absolutely particularly worrying if you are leaking blood onto your seat like and then if you think like if you get that like twinge where like oh god am i leaking is there a leak and then you a you can't think about anything else and you end up like scooting around in your seat, like trying to see if there's blood on your chair. Like it's the worst. <laughs> and even if you're not leaking, once you get that idea into your head, you can't get it out. It's the only thing that you can think about for the duration of whatever class you're in. Because right. it is, it's considered like the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, you know, to be outed as having your period, which is ridiculous unto itself. 
Yeah, I remember in like middle school, a bunch of teenage boys sent a um, history teacher home in tears because she had had her period <gasps> in class and they like, uh, this is like what, let's see, seventh grade. Oh my God. And they like mocked her mercilessly and a teacher, a grown adult who was teaching had her period in class and teenage boys sent her home in tears. Oh my god, that's brutal. Yeah. Oof. I feel so very, very bad for that woman. <laughs> so, I was just, like, that makes me think about, you know, seventh grade. God, how old are you in seventh grade? Like, I, I've been so, oh yeah, on average. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I was like, yeah, 12 or 13. I think it's 13. And I think I was too. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So like by the age of 12 or 13, those boys knew enough about how shameful that was to make a teacher go home in tears. Mm -hmm. Like this is so ingrained into our culture that kids are able to mock a teacher that badly, like about something that's completely normal and natural and fine. Like, that is so upsetting. And it makes me also think about like, like all of the horrible, stupid myths about like the toxicity of period blood and like all of the things that have been said over the years to like make women feel shame and fear about their periods. Like, even though we no longer believe that like if a menstruating person touches a flower that the flower will die. Like the... Oh, I guess you could yeah. even say, like, the toxicity of the feelings that we have about periods continues to be just as powerful. Yeah, uh, let's see. A woman can kill a man by having sex with him while she's on her period, especially if it coincides with an eclipse. <laughs> an eclipse! It's like, okay, all right, I like that. I like that. makes me feel very powerful. <laughs> if a woman passes between two men... If it is at the beginning of her period, she will kill one of them. Oh, but just the beginning. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Mm -hmm. All spells of magicians can be neutralized with period blood. Oh, that could come in handy. Okay. Wait, so like, how does that work? Like, do you throw the blood at the magician or like, what do you do with it? How do I, don't, I need more information. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not somebody who would like know that <laughs> well i like the idea of throwing the blood at the magician so i'm gonna go with that okay so i did find some myth myths around periods uh around the world mm, okay. uh, that i kind of wanted to talk about and so i'm just gonna read through them really quick uh in the u.s and the uk uh, you're clumsy when you're on your period mm. tampons will break your hymen and make you impure yeah, you're not a virgin anymore if you use a tampon. That one I heard growing up and makes no sense. No. <sighs> uh, that you can't take a bath on your period. Because sharks or something? Right, yeah. Yeah, that um, one never made sense either. Mm -mm. It's like dangerous living in grizzly country here. <laughs> Good point. Those bears uh, come running. Yeah, that was another one. Uh, don't perm your hair until after you've had your first period. 
<laughs> that is something that a mom definitely just made up in the 80s <laughs> when her kid was like, Mom, I need a perm to look like Madonna. <laughs> Uh, if you touch any vegetable before or during the pickling process, they would not pickle or go bad. That's an old one. I did some research on on that specifically. Uh, in Nepal, uh, you can't be in homes or have contact with anyone on your period. Oh, geez. What do you do? Um, no clue. In Israel, you get slapped in the face when you get your first period, so you have beautiful red cheeks all of your life. <laughs> what? That that's magical. Okay. In Colombia, you can't drink cold beverages because they'll give you cramps. I am, you know, I'm game for like all of society being like, how can we make cramps easier yeah. for everyone? Yeah, I'm totally into that idea. Uh, also, you can't wash or cut your hair while you're on your period. I've actually heard that for uh some indigenous cultures here in America as well. Hmm. Poland, uh, having sex can kill your partner. Wow. Romania, you can't touch flowers because they'll die quicker. Yes, that's part of, probably related to the one that I was studying. Yeah. Malaysia, you need to wash your pads before throwing them out, otherwise ghosts will come and haunt you. Oh boy, whoa. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, India, you can't enter a kitchen or cook food. There's a whole bunch of food ones in here. I'm just gonna, like, say that there's a bunch of food ones and skip those ones, because they're all pretty much the same. Um, you can't enter a place of worship. A bunch of hair ones. Like, there's so many hair ones. Oh, that's really interesting. I wonder why. You should avoid dancing to very active rhythms in order to take care of your uterus in Mexico. (laughs) Okay, and we just slide out, I guess. (laughs) Dominican Republic, don't paint your nails, wash your hair, or drink lemonade. Oh, that's very specific. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In Brazil, don't walk barefoot or you might get cramps. Okay. Again, cramp reduction. I'm cool with that. In Argentina, you can't make whipped cream or it'll curdle. Oh, um let's see there's a few more on here uh philippines when you get your first period you you need to wash your face with the first menstrual blood to have clear skin oh huh i wonder if there's any basis in truth for that there's a whole lot of nutrients in period blood what if you had like filipino israeli parents do they like make you wash your face with your period blood and then slap you like (laughs) slap it off your face In Italy, dough won't rise while you're on your period. Yeah. Oh, there was a culture that I read somewhere that said you're not supposed to hold babies while you're on your period. And I have anything. I have some news for those people. Like, moms have periods and babies. Like, what are they supposed to do for an entire week out of every single month? Just not pick up their baby? You're supposed to have a nanny, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. And a wet nurse. Um, Possibly the same person, possibly not. Right, but, I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, A whole bunch of can't-touch plants, can't cook, can't um, swim or go to the beach. You can't make mayonnaise or it'll curdle. (laughs) You can't make sushi because it will have an imbalance in taste. I've actually heard that that is still relatively widespread 
in Japan. That like the number of female sushi chefs is like minuscule because people still whether they believe it or not, it's at least a convenient way to keep women out of the industry. And that's what it comes down to is a lot of like period myths, even if they are not originally like created for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. actively keep women out of all kinds of different industries. Yeah, and it's interesting that there's so many particularly about food. What because historically speaking, in most cultures, women are the primary preparers of food. Right. So if you're telling women that they can't like be in the kitchen or touch any food, like wh- what that is that is extremely alienating. Yeah, you can't like take baths, you can't wash, you can't take too hot of showers, you can't wash your hair or cut your hair or curl your hair. Right. Like what is like you can't just do basic self-care while you're on your period. You can't do cook for your family. You can't pick up your baby. Right. And it's not as if like in all of these situations there's like a since you can't do this, let's let you do something really nice instead or like pay you extra to stay home or like that's not suggested in any of this. <laughs> It's like you just can't do anything and you have to be away from everybody because you're gross. And I'm sure that there's a lot of situations in which that's not the goal necessarily, but it does seem to be the effect in a lot of ways. So I was reading about a, I I don't know where this guy is from. Um, I will put a link to where I found this information in the show notes. Uh, but I don't have the full story here. Um, but some person named Bella Schick, who was a, quote, popular physician, conceived the term menotoxin in 1920. He ran experiments in which menstruating and non-menstruating women handled flowers. Schick concluded that menstruating women excreted toxic substances from their skin that caused flowers to wilt. The menotoxins, according to Schick, also stopped the growth of yeast and prevented dough from rising. Schick postulated that the menotoxins might seep into a menstruating woman's sweat as well. And others corroborated his conclusion, concluding that toxins from menstruating women could wither plants and spoil beer, wine, and pickles. Some studies even suggested that menstrual blood increases the risk of infection because bacteria grow well in blood, which is rich in iron, protein, and sugars. Moreover, during menstruation, there is less mucus around the cervix, making it easier for bacteria to enter. None of this is true. (laughs) But apparently in the 20s, people decided to study these things. And what it sounds like, based on what you just said, is that these scientists went into these experiments with all of these, like, ideas and then just confirmed their biases by reading whatever they wanted in the outcomes. Yeah. So, like, we have really old beliefs that you can't touch, you can't touch pickles, you can't go near beer, you know, none of these things will work if you're near them while you're menstruating. And then science, early, early Western science was like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. And so people have believed it, even though, like, all of this has been disproven at this point, those beliefs are so old and so entrenched that getting away from them is a tall order. Mm Mm-hmm. But I want to talk a little bit about the cognitive dissonance that I have about periods and PMS and hormonal changes, because it's a topic that I still grapple with. Um, so when I was growing up, my mother told me that PMS was a myth. 
because she didn't experience it. And I believe that for a long time. I just thought that people were making it up for whatever reason. I don't know. Good. Sounds like somebody who is PMSing would say. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why. Like, I don't, I never have asked her about it again. And I probably should because I'm curious. Like, <laughs> I, I have a lot of questions. Um, but I just believed it. And. But also, that logic is really shaky. Like, oh, it doesn't exist because it didn't happen to me. I mean, a lot of like, um, when it, when I'm talking about colonization and racism and human rights and stuff, it's that exact like thought process that like makes me have to do this job anyway, like to begin with is like, oh, well, none of that happens to me. So it doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's not real. Absolutely. It's definitely like a smaller, like way of thought, like that is clearly being taught somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, like, I understand it to a certain degree, you know, it's, it's hard to understand what someone else is going through if you have not gone through it, like in a deep way, but denying other people's life experiences is fucked up. (laughs) Um, And I have a feeling that that my mom saying that may have had less to do with her personal experience and the way that she was raised. My grandmother was a very stern woman um, who was a career nurse. And while on the one hand, she was very, you know, well-versed in medical science, um, on the other hand, a medical science when she went to nursing school in the 40s was deeply deeply misogynistic like makes us look positively like miles ahead of that uh, at this point um she was very very against the idea of like folk medicine and like believing what people told you like she was very by the book and if the book didn't say that pms was real then she didn't believe in it even if she experienced it so i have a feeling that it came from my grandmother and then my mother repeated it to me and then i went about my my life believing the PMS wasn't real until it was probably at least my late twenties. And I was working an office job. Um, and I like one day it just occurred to me, like I noticed that I was in an extremely bad mood and there was no reason for it. Nothing had happened. I just fucking hated everything. And then the next day I got my period and I was like, wait a second, hang on. So the next month, when I knew that it was coming up, I started paying attention. And over the course of about six months, I tracked it. And it was completely undeniable that I had a period of grumpiness and aches and pains and just like wanting to eat everything and also kill everybody for three or four days before I got my period. And I was like, okay, well, this is empirical evidence that PMS exists and that I have it. And It's kind of amazing to me that I was able to live as a person who got a period for probably 15 years before I put this together on my own. And it, it made me like, first of all, it made me realize like how much we can deny our own realities when we're told that they're not valid, Um, which is probably something we could do like several episodes on by itself. But it also made me like, I was upset because I want to just be able to categorically reject anything that anyone, especially someone who doesn't get periods, has to say about how people are irrational or hysterical 
you know, when they're on their period. Like I still remember in the 2016 election cycle when people said that we could never have a woman president because when she was on her period, she would have the nuclear codes and how dangerous that would be and how pissed off that made me. But at the same time, I cannot deny, and the science concludes that the hormonal changes that happen over the menstrual cycle are real and they do affect the way that you behave. Like, even if you're aware of the fact that, you know, okay, my hormones are in flux right now and I'm more likely to be, you know, angry about things. That, and not everybody feels those same things. And I think that's a huge problem when it comes to it is that we're told what, what the symptoms of PMS are perceived to be over and over again throughout our entire lives. And it's always done in, negative con- in a negative context. But um, we are very rarely taught in school exactly what PMS is, what the symptoms can be for it, and that it's okay and that it happens, you know. <laughs> and so it's really hard to, like, say that I do or don't have PMS because it manifests so differently in every single person that That's has it. very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's experience is so different. I think I just, I hate to give any fuel to the logic that, you know, like that people who get periods aren't to be trusted because they can't control their emotions. Like I, I hate that idea, but I also hate the idea that in order to combat that, I might have to pretend that I don't have changes in mood over the course of my menstrual cycle. Uh, As I was saying, like when you um, teach this at a younger age, uh, that it's a thing, it exists, that it's not negative, that it's totally normal, people are more likely to accept it as they get older if you... um, you as a responsibility that period havers have is to be like, okay, I have to work. And even though I hate everyone today, <laughs> I'm going to have to be professional. Right. Uh, and that doesn't mean hide the fact that you're, you know, on your period. It just means that you're going to have to like suck it up. Just like you have to suck up those cramps and stuff to go to work right. sometimes. Uh, but also like, say we had more women bosses, for instance, <laughs> uh, but say more people were like higher ups were aware of that and like supplied like pads and tampons in the women's bathrooms for free and like, you know, acknowledged that women's entire like bodies are changing on a constant basis throughout the entire month and to be like okay with that then uh, more accepting of it like then you know things would be a little bit different and we wouldn't have to hide the fact I do have mood swings some months some months I only have I wake up feeling like I'm hungover every morning Mm mm-hmm you make a really good point. Like, because as, as menstruators, (laughs) we are, you know, generally considered to be like the minority in working situations. We are considered to be like the weirdos on the outside. And so therefore we have to conform to the working world and the way that the world is so that we can like 
get by, even though we have periods. But what could happen is that we could acknowledge that about half of the population of working people generally is going to have a period sometime and make some concessions for them. Like, yeah, you know, make make sanitary and menstrual products available. Maybe make it like not totally unacceptable to take a nap if you need to, you know? Maybe, and I'm going out on a limb here, but you know, just supply chocolate, just keep it around. Because <laughs> again, I know I'm falling into a stereotype, but okay, chocolate does release endorphins into the blood. Like it's, <laughs> that is a true fact and it makes me feel better. And I, one of the things that I noticed when I started having this realization about my moods and, and PMS and my cycle was that like, if I start thinking uncontrollably about chocolate cake, that means that my period is coming. And not because I was like raised where like, you know, in, in fantasy land, like I got chocolate cake every time I had my period. That did not happen. It just organically happens to me that every month I start thinking about chocolate cake and I know that I need to go to the bathroom and get a pad or a tampon when that happens because I know what it means. Um, so I'm just saying, you know, employers, <laughs> If you have a break room, consider keeping chocolate on hand because if you make concessions to the fact that people in your workforce have periods and make it easier for them to just live their authentic lives, then they don't have to feel so much shame about it. And maybe the shame and the fact that we're expected to just suck it up all the time is what makes us so fucking cranky when we get cranky. Yeah, I mean... When we start to eliminate the shame and start to accept people for who they are, then uh, I have to say mine is not chocolate, mine is salt. I want potato mm. chips so bad when I'm oh, yeah. on my period, but not not necessarily chocolate. I just, mm. Mainly because chocolate is like a regular thing for me. I get like <laughs> Every single night after dinner, I get two chocolates and it's just like, it's not something I crave. It's just something that I have to like settle me down. I know it's time to like relax, but, um, I, yeah, if, when we start like accepting people and we stop like upholding these rules and superstitions and myths and taboos, you have right. more yeah, like productive employees. If we're looking at this from a capitalist standpoint, yeah, but, you know, like, if we're making a world where it's just easier to have a period instead of making it more difficult for people who have periods to get by in the world, then, like, just everybody benefits. Yeah, so what, that a world where periods are taken seriously is a world where reproductive rights are taken more seriously. Oh, God. It's yeah. a world where girls can go to school mm -hmm. um, and and learn better yeah it's a place where more women can be in the workplace without feeling shameful once a month it's right. a place where um you know it's i mean it's a place where i don't know where i'm going with that i lost it but it's a better place <laughs> but ultimately what it comes down to is it's not even an option anymore it's what has to happen right yeah, for real. I mean, like, uh, the, I can sell it all I want all night long. But what it comes down to is that the way that we've been going about this for hundreds of years clearly is not doing anybody any good in terms of physical health, in terms of mental health, 
it puts actual um, period havers' lives in danger. Mm-hmm. And so we need to we need to fix it. Yeah. And, and so how do down too. so I guess our our prescription is like talk about periods more. <laughs> I think really and, and like, at a younger age. Talk about mm-hmm. periods more and at a younger age. Let's make blood uh not blue in period commercials. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's, you know, or uh, let's acknowledge that everyone bleeds but but blood isn't anything that's unnatural or unclean it's something that uh is totally natural and um you know can and should be managed and accepted as a as a whole yeah like and let's let's acknowledge that people who have periods are like so metal because of (laughs) because i mean like like we said before like dealing with blood on the regular not even flinching about it very often dealing with monstrous amount of pain um and a lot of the time there's like you know psychological like implications to having a period like just being like so exhausted that it is so hard to do anything or being you know like i i get angry I get angry much more easily around the time that I have my period. And like the fact that folks who have symptoms like these are like powering through their lives, like that's metal as fuck. And I think that that deserves a lot of respect that frankly, we're not getting right now. Right. And I mean, it's, it's rough. The other day, one of my kids skipped like the first two classes Uh, that Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be in and I asked them why and they said well I was tired I had my period Mm -hmm. and uh, I had to explain that in a perfect world that that would be perfectly acceptable but it's not in the world that we live in today and (laughs) as a woman of color living in a uh, very white neighborhood where my kids go to a very white school system Uh, I'm the person who, when my kid misses school, is Mm. flagged as somebody to call social services on. Fuck. I could lose my kid because they skipped some classes because they had their period. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. (sighs) Normalizing periods won't fix all of that, but it's a big step. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) definitely because if we're if we're like you know systemically normalizing the having of periods as like a real issue that needs to be addressed that also probably means that we're normalizing a lot of other things that are really important for us to look at culturally so you know so it's a step on the path toward this this better and nicer and decolonized world that we're hoping to inspire everybody about yeah (laughs) So I guess with that, we should probably wrap it up. That seems like a really good place to leave it. But what are we before... talking about next week? Oh, shit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we doing? Okay. Yeah. And in the meantime, you can go to your favorite podcatcher where you listen to us and leave a review in places that, uh, that allow reviews like on iTunes uh, and on Amazon particularly. Those two are big ones. Um, the more good reviews that we get, the more visible we become to people who go to those platforms and look for podcasts. Um, 
So if you like the show, we would a thousand times over appreciate reviews. Um, they really, really help us out a lot. And if you're not so much of a reviewer um, and you don't have, you know, the means to support us financially, you can always follow us on social media. Um, we are either, depending on how the platform works, some places, you know, you enter in the username, sometimes you need the actual name. We are either Ourgasm or Gasm Hour. <laughs> yeah. um, on all social media. And, you know, if you want to give us a follow, every like, every comment, every share, every save helps us just, you know, earn more clout and get the word out better about the podcast. So if you're a fan, there are lots of ways that you can help support this podcast. Yeah, totally. And most importantly, subscribe and follow and like the episodes on your podcaster because I know there is like a little heart or something on there that says that you like the episode so <laughs> there's always something <laughs> yeah so thank you all so much for listening we will be back next week with something awesome we are just not going to tell you what yet um and in the meantime you know keep being badasses yeah <laughs> ciao bye let our love be a flame, not an ember. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh. It's here that I must be. My heart entreats. Just hear those savage beats. And go put on your cleats. And come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire. Which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love, every time I hear drums. And I envy the rose that you held in your teeth love with the thorns underneath love sticking into your gums your eyes cast a spell that bewitches the last time I needed 20 stitches to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we dance to the masochism tango bash in my brain and make me scream with pain then kick me once again and say we'll never part I know too well I'm underneath your spell so darling if you smell something burning it's my heart excuse me take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre Tango